Good morning, everyone. Wow, we are halfway through our 30-week journey of believe, okay? And uh, I'm just hearing some wonderful reports from people's daily reading as well as your discussions in the Ohana groups. And I just want to encourage you, let's hang in there or recommit if we need to because this is life-changing as we spend time in the Word and just let God's Word just transform us into the people He has called us to be. Well, I uh, wanted to begin this morning by just expressing this is the week that we're going to focus on total surrender. Total surrender. Wow. How does that sound? Sometimes it's like we push away from that concept. But our question, our key question this week is how do I cultivate a life of sacrificial service? Because that's what total surrender leads to. And then our key practice this week is, well, it's right under total surrender. Let's say it together. I dedicate my life to God's purposes. Last week, we focused on single-mindedness. This flows right from that. If we want, as we studied last week and discussed, to dedicate our lives to following God and making His priorities uh, first in my life, then we're going to want to uh, dedicate our lives to his purposes, our life to his purposes. That just flows from that. So that's what we're going to consider. But as I said, surrender isn't a real popular word. Uh, so there's something within us that kind of resists that. In fact, I think it's even in our national psyche. Let me give you some examples out of our military history. I mean, it could cite so many, but I remember as a kid, I was inspired when I heard about one of our first naval captains in the Revolutionary War who was engaged with a British ship and, and the British thought they had the best of him and, and asked if he was ready to surrender. And he said, sent a message back, I have not yet begun to fight. Or in the Korean War, Colonel Chesty Puller and his first Marines, and uh, they were up near the Chinese border and uh, the Chinese poured over the border. He didn't expect that. MacArthur said it wouldn't happen. And he is in a running battle on the way to the coast and pretty soon finds himself surrounded by 10 divisions of Chinese soldiers. And his response was, they've got us right where we want them. We can fire in any direction now. <laughs> he wasn't going to surrender. One of my favorites is, is that story many of you are familiar with out of World War II. It was during the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, General Anthony McAuliffe had the 101st Airborne in a town named Bastogne when they were surrounded by the German army that had surged back in that Battle of the Bulge. And under a flag of truce, they sent McAuliffe a note demanding his unconditional surrender. And they said that they would... They had he uh, six heavy armored divisions surrounding the town. They were vastly outnumbered, and he gave them two hours to surrender, or he would commence firing. So they delivered that note to McAuliffe, and witnesses say that he read that note and crumpled it up, threw it aside, and said, ah, nuts. He wasn't given to swearing. McAuliffe wasn't. And uh, so they discussed, well, what are we going to do? I mean, we've got two hours here to make this decision. They discussed it, 
And one of the officers finally suggested that McAuliffe's initial response summed it up pretty well. So they decided that would be their response. And uh, so they sent it back with a Colonel Joseph Harper to the German commander, and it was signed by the American commander. It was short. It just said, to the German commander, nuts. He read it. He was a little confused. And so he asked Harper what it meant. In Friday night service, I told him exactly what he said. And my wife, Dee, said, you really shouldn't say that in church. I said, okay, well, what can I say? What he said, what Harper said to the German commander was, he told him to go to a destination that Jesus tells us to avoid. Okay? And so, in other words, we're not going to surrender. Well, that's, you know what? Those words are heroic. When a commander or an army is standing against evil and defending the citizens of a nation. That is heroic. But you know what? Jesus Christ calls us to surrender. And to surrender to him is not only noble, it's the only wise thing to do. In light of what he has done for us. And in light of what he offers for us. So what I want us to consider, even though maybe some of us have not initially surrendered to Christ, or probably most of us, have a pocket of resistance in our lives where we have said, I'm not surrendering that. I want us to consider this morning from several different passages what it means to surrender, what it looks like, how we can do that practically, and why we should. And there's an outline in your bulletin, so take a look at uh, that. And uh, let me share these principles with you. First one is this. Total surrender to the Lord requires more than verbal promises. Luke's gospel, uh, he records the ministry of Jesus and, and in the ninth chapter, he supplies three examples of what it means to surrender to Jesus. And let's take a look at each one of them, beginning with the first in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now doesn't that sound fantastic? That sounds like exactly what Jesus wants to hear from people. I'll follow you wherever you go. But listen to what he said. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying? He's saying to that man, do you really understand what you're signing up for? This is not an easy path. We don't even know where we're going to sleep tonight. We don't have a place to call home. Uh, this may be a whole lot more difficult. And this guy's thinking, what? I think Jesus is thinking, this guy may be thinking, Aren't they have, don't they have reservations at the Four Seasons in Tiberias? Or, or maybe the West in Galilee? And Jesus wanted him to count the cost and realize it wasn't easy to follow him. It's not all that easy to follow Helen Lana Jones to the Holy Land either because uh, we went there in 2008 and and they're used to staying in missionary lodgings. I remember Hal said, you know, we're going to book these hotels. And when you go as a missionary, you got, well, you can go to a one-sheet hotel or a two-sheet hotel. There's difference in price, you know. And uh, so some of the hotels we stayed in were okay. You know, they were quite nice, okay. That one in Jerusalem. But, but we got into one hotel, and it was a kick. Uh, we get in there, and it was just a mess. This place looked 
terrible. And I remember standing in the hallway with you, Hal, and uh, Biki Kawa was standing there. And uh, we were looking around, and there was stuff all over the place. And, and Hal said, this is great. When you stay in these two-star hotels, you don't have to worry about being firebombed. And then he walked away, and B. Kikawa said, well, I wasn't worried about being firebombed. I was worried about a fire. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you got you to know there's a price to pay when you follow Jesus. But seriously, that is what Jesus was saying to this fella, that I'm not looking for lip service. I'm looking for commitment and follow through. And too often in the church today, we've reduced following Jesus to saying a prayer and going to church. That's not what it meant to follow Jesus. It means living for him daily in a sacrificial way. And that's what we're talking about this week. That's what Jesus was talking about here. Let's look at another one, verse 59. And he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now that sounds pretty harsh to us, a little insensitive. But think about it. Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. He would never contradict the law. The fourth commandment was to honor your father and your mother. In the Jewish culture, it was very important to Bury your parents when that time came. Jesus really was saying to this man, there's an urgency here. I've called you to proclaim the kingdom, and I want you to understand that this takes priority over everything. And a lot of times, family will hold us back from serving the Lord. And that's, I believe, the point that Jesus wanted to make very clearly here. When he said, let the dead bury the dead, most scholars believe what he meant was, let those who are spiritually dead take care of matters but you need to give yourself to what counts and that is helping people come to life by proclaiming the kingdom of God there's an urgency involved here Christ takes priority and commitment to him takes priority here's the third one another also said I will follow you Lord but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home but Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that goodbye could have been a party that could last for weeks. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to make a decision here. And he said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Well, in those days, a plow was a single blade with those handles that come back. Remember those? Well, I've seen pictures of them. And uh, they'd have an ox out front. And uh, you'd follow that thing. And uh, if you looked back, guess what happens to your furrow? You know, you go off track. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you got to leave the world and look forward in following me. I mean, so many times we want to hold on to those things that used to have hold of us and think we can serve Jesus at the same time. He said, oh, no, you need to... Make a commitment here. When he said you're not fit for the kingdom, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Who of us has not looked back? Every one of us has, right? But Jesus knew that. He's saying as a practice, as a commitment. You know what? Is there hope if you look back? Ask Peter, 
who said, Lord, they may all deny you, but I never will. And he did that very night. And what did Jesus do? Restored him and said, okay, start plowing again, Peter. Feed my sheep. And so the encouraging thing to me is that even though Jesus knows our weaknesses, he knows our failures, but he calls us to look forward and to commit ourselves seriously to the kingdom. Now, some people believe, and I think it's true, that Jesus probably used some hyperbole here, overstating it, but he wanted to make the point that it's serious to follow him and should work itself out, not just in our words, but in our actions, in our lives, in the decisions that we make. Romania, uh, under communist oppression for so many years, uh, experienced, the Christians there experienced unbelievable persecution. And I read a quote from one of these people that came out of that time, a guy by the name of Joseph Tisson. And this is what he says, fascinating. When you make a commitment, you are still in control, no matter how noble the thing you commit to. One can commit to pray, study the Bible, give his money, to make automobile payments, or to lose weight. Whatever he or she chooses to do, they commit to it. Surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that individual what you're committed to. You simply surrender and do as you're told. So control is saying, I'm, I mean, excuse me, commitment is saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. Surrender is saying, I will do it. And it's all about control. When we, when we make a commitment, we still make the decisions. We're still in control. When we surrender, somebody else is in control. And when we surrender to Jesus, we say, okay, what do you want me to do? And then we obey him because he is the Lord of our lives. And that goes way beyond verbal commitment. Secondly, total surrender to the Lord requires daily sacrifices. It's not a one-time situation. It requires daily sacrifices if we're going to be committed. This is our verse for the week. It's right out of Romans 12.1. I encourage you to memorize this. It's a little different version than you have in your Believe book. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship to the Apostle Paul wasn't a song service. It was all of life. It was the way we lived daily in our lives. And here's the thing. When he says, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters. What did he mean by that? Well, for 11 chapters in this book of Romans, he's been talking about what God has done for us, how he's extended mercy to us through Jesus Christ. And, and, and we've received grace and forgiveness. And then he says, therefore, because of that, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, he was familiar with sacrifices. In the first century world, there were sacrifices everywhere. The pagans were offering sacrifices of animals in their temples and consuming them in the flames. In the temple in Jerusalem, Temple Mount, they would continually offer the smoke up in sacrifices of animals placed on those altars. But Paul's calling for something different here. God doesn't want dead animals anymore. He wants people, 
living sacrificially daily for him. That's a new clarion call to what it means to surrender. And how does that happen? Well, in verse 2, he says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we'll begin to live for the Lord, we'll understand, we'll come to experience, wow, God's will for me was good. It was acceptable. In fact, it was perfect. So how's our mind renewed so that we're transformed? Well, you know, in the last several weeks, we've talked about just uh, being a people of worship, being a people of prayer the following week, being a people who study God's word a couple weeks ago. And we said, you know, you can even begin every day with worship and prayer and the word and then just let that wash over your minds through the day as it continually brings us back to the Lord. That's what renews our mind and then that will transform our lives. Last week, I mentioned a concept about priorities. We were talking about priorities, and I said, instead of one, two, three, four, God, uh, family, uh, ministry, church, no, 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 let's see it as a circle within a circle. Got that from Dr. George Rhodes years ago, where Christ is the center of our lives. That's a, a surrendering to Christ and saying, okay, Jesus, as I read your word and prayerfully consider it, you show me how to treat my spouse and how to be an employee or an employer, how to deal with my money. How do I treat my enemy? Oh, wow, love your enemy, pray for those. How do I, I gave the pet a name this week, okay? I'm not sure it tells us in the word how to do that, although some would disagree with that. But the point is, if we make Christ the center of our lives and surrender to him, then as we just let his word and his spirit direct us, more and more we'll be able to understand daily, wow, that calls for a sacrificial action to serve those around me. And that's what it means to surrender to Jesus in a very practical way. One more point. Total surrender to the Lord turns perceived defeat into victory. Surrender seems like defeat. And I know there was one military commander, might have been Chesty Puller, said, we're not retreating, we're just advancing in the other direction. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like, well, man, if I surrender, then I'm giving up. No, not when you're surrendering to Christ. That's a whole different matter because he deserves our loyalty. Otherwise, we'll find that we're fighting on the wrong side. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 9, earlier in that chapter. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Wow, that's paradoxical, isn't it? Try to hang on to our lives. We'll lose all that he meant for us to experience in this life and could lose eternal life. I had to throw in a football analogy today, and I thought, you know, uh, that would be like living your life as a football team does 
having a prevent defense. Now, if you're not a football fan, when a team appears to be winning a game and it's in the second half and they're afraid that they will lose, they just pull their defense back and just try to hang on to that game. It's called a, a prevent defense. They usually lose, right? Because they've stopped being aggressive. They've stopped going for it. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to live your life like that. I want you to be on the offensive. I want you to be all in and to leave it all on the field for me. That's what Jesus is saying to disciples. Lose your life in my cause and for my sake, and you'll really find what life is all about. There were five students at Wheaton College back in the 1950s. Many of you know this story. Uh, and, and, and one of them was Jim Elliott. And uh, Jim Elliott was sold out. He was surrendered to Jesus Christ. His, his journal is amazing to just see some of the things that he would just write in his journal as he read God's Word daily. And he had four friends that he, they were going to go into business, they were going to go into law practices, but he challenged them to surrender and give their lives to Christ as missionaries and go with him to Ecuador because there was a, a people group, an unreached people group in Ecuador, then known as the Alcas. And the Alcas hadn't never been reached, and uh, they were feared in that whole area of the jungle in Ecuador. In fact, other tribes that were fierce and savage feared these people. The Alcas were known as the naked people. They wore no clothing, and they would uh, hunt down and kill anyone that had offended them. If they were irritated, they'd kill you. Time magazine had an article about him. said they were the worst people on earth and how savage they were. Well, he wanted to go there. And these men all surrendered their lives to go as missionaries to Ecuador. And uh, they prayed. They planned. I mean, they had a strategy. One of them uh, was a pilot. And so what they would do from a remote part of the jungle is they would send him up in a plane with another one of the missionaries, and they would fly over that village, and there was a clearing and the, the Alcas would look up at them from the edge of the jungle, and they would drop a basket from that plane. Well, it's hard to do that with a fixed-wing plane, but he would fly in a big circle around that clearing so the basket would stay right there in the center. Pretty skillful job there. And uh, they would drop gifts to them, uh, maybe a machete or various items that they thought the uh, Alcas could appreciate, and they did. And pretty soon when they would do this, after a number of times, the Alcas started sending up gifts to them, some bananas, a monkey, whatever, you know. And uh, so they thought, okay, eventually they thought it's safe. We've established some contact here. They know we don't have hostile intent. We'll fly in. So they flew in, five of them, in that plane, landed on a sandbar in the river, and the Alcas came out and speared them and hacked them to death with machetes. Life magazine said, what a waste of these young lives. And that would be the natural understanding of that one. Um, let me share a few quotes from these men before they died, from their journals. Ed McCauley said, on the way home yesterday, I took a long walk and came to a decision which I know is of the Lord. I have one desire now. To live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. That's surrender. Roger Yoderian, who actually was a paratrooper, 
parachuted into the Battle of the Bulge. He said, ever since I accepted Christ as my personal Savior last fall and wanted to follow him and do the will of the Lord, I want to be a witness for him and live following him every second of my life. Pete Fleming, a call is nothing more or less than obedience to the will of God. As God presses it home to the soul by whatever means he chooses, doing his will each day. And then here's the most famous quote probably from these guys, Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Whoever gives his life, tries to save it, loses it, but whoever uh, loses his life for my sake will keep it, Jesus said. Well, that's Jim Elliott's life and these men's lives and uh, what happened as a result. Well, Jim Elliott's wife went back and another missionary's wife and a child, and they established contact with one of the Alka girls that came out of that village, led her to Jesus, who gave them access to that village. They were in there uh, after that, able to share the gospel of Christ, and uh, that whole village came to Christ. In fact, the man who killed Jim Elliot's father baptized one of his children later. And they began to evangelize villages around there for Christ. I've got a picture of these guys here. Um, in January 1956, five missionaries died in an attempt to share the gospel with the, now the, the Wadani tribe, previously known as the Alcas, in Ecuador. Yodarian, Fleming, Elliot, Saint, and Macaulay. Now, 50 years later, their sacrifice has resulted in the reconciliation and transformation of the tribe. The story has inspired thousands to serve or surrender to Christ. Their lives were not wasted. They surrendered, and they found life here, and certainly hereafter. Now, here's the deal. We don't have to lose our lives by dying for Christ, we might. Some Christians are right now in various parts of the world. But what Christ asks us to do is to die to ourselves, wherever we are, to live for him and to make sacrifices accordingly. Yeah, thank you. We can move on from that. Let me close with a story that I think illustrates where maybe some of us have been, maybe where some of us are presently in, in some area of our lives. <clears throat> comes out of World War II, and some of you are familiar with this story, and it has to do with a young Japanese lieutenant who went in December of 1944 to Lubang in the Philippines, sent there by the Japanese army. Well, three months later, the Allied troops landed in the Philippines, and uh, they knew it was over, and those Japanese just were surrendering in droves, but not Hiroo Onoda. No, he and three other guys refused to surrender, and they went into the jungle. Well, there was, theirs was the generation that had been trained never to surrender, that they had an absolute loyalty to Japan and to the emperor, and so they refused to surrender. Two of them died in the jungle. One of them emerged in 19... 50 to surrender, but Onoda never did. He, he continued to steal from the villagers whatever he needed to survive and, and commit occasional guerrilla warfare. 
Finally, it was in 1974 that a young traveler from Japan went in there to make contact with Onoda and waited in a clearing until finally he came out and they conversed. This traveler went back to Japan and his commander, his commanding officer, came and talked with him and convinced him and changed the order now so that he could surrender. He was pardoned by the Philippine government and welcomed home in Japan as a hero. He died in January of 2014, not that long ago. And so I think that there's a picture involved in that. I mean, there's been a conquest, and it took place at the cross, where Christ opened the way for reconciliation and peace with us. But we sometimes hold on uh, and refuse to surrender. And we resist giving our lives over to Christ. We're confused, we're scared, we have all kinds of reasons. We think that what we have here is better than what he can offer us, and we've missed it. And so the Holy Spirit really speaks to us and, 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 and woos us to come and to surrender to Christ's kingdom. And so some, maybe there may be some here that have never initially really surrendered to Jesus and said, not only do I invite you into my life, Christ, but I want to live each day for you. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of yours. Whatever that means, you show me in your word, and I will obey you. Now, I'd encourage you, if you've never made that decision, make this the day. That's the day of salvation for you. And then start following. Yeah, be baptized uh, and make a commitment to just following him every day. Others of us, we may think we've surrendered, but we know that there's an area in our lives where we are refusing to let go, to surrender that. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. We're holding on to the wrong kingdom, and we're not experiencing the life that Jesus says we could be experiencing if we'll let that go. And so I'd really challenge each of us and myself, because surrender is not something I've achieved to let it go, give it to Jesus. And then we can say, by faith, I dedicate my life to God's purposes. This week, as we pray, as we read, as we share together, let's make that commitment and decide, yeah, it's more than a commitment. I'll surrender daily to Jesus. Please bow with me for prayer. Lord, thank you for your mercy that you've extended to us for the invitation to become citizens of your kingdom and to leave it all for you. Lord, help us to see the folly of holding on to that which has held us back. I pray that if there's anyone here that just need to make an initial decision, yes, today, Jesus, I surrender to you. And for each of us that will make that commitment. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.